This is the Civilized Barking Podcast with Zach Jackson, Jason Lloyd, and Tom Reed. Good morning, everyone. We hope you've been waiting for this podcast. We hope you've been sharing this podcast. We're getting together this morning to talk about the first place Cleveland Browns. I'm Zach Jackson. I'm joined by Jason Lloyd and by Tom Reed. Um, long story short, two of us are back in Cleveland. One of us is still in Baltimore. We tried to do this after the game. Uh, it was I'm a strange Sunday. <laughs> it was a strange I'm Sunday. I'm sorry. Hang on. It's my fault because we did get a couple <laughs> tweets about why. Where's the Civilized Barking podcast? Uh, it was in the trash because I don't know how to use technology equipment. And about 20 minutes in, we figured out I was not recording. So it was a wonderful conversation that will have to remain between the three of us forever and ever. I'm very sorry. I'm an idiot. It's all my fault. Well, uh, it's okay. Um, you know, we're still giving impressions. It's still fresh. People are still excited. Uh, it was not perfect, but it was a much, much, much improved showing from the offense. It was another stellar showing from the defense. And it was a quiet uh, M&T Bank Stadium. Uh, the Ravens had not turned the ball over. The Ravens were one of the league's hottest teams. Uh, the Browns went in there and bullied them. They pulled away, and with eight minutes and 15 seconds left time right in front of us, an entire section of people got up and left, and you just don't see that very often. No, nope, not, not, not there and not in Pittsburgh. I only saw it once in Pittsburgh, and then they tried to get back in when the Browns blew that, <laughs> that lead against the, in, in the playoffs in 2002 or whatever it was. People will always say in Pittsburgh, oh, I was there for the whole game. Bull crap. Like a third of the stadium left. That's right. Um, you know, obviously Nick Chubb has the big day, uh, follows the box, takes off on the 88-yard run. Jason, I thought the 14-yard touchdown run before that was out of a video game. I thought he was incredible. But I just thought in general um, the Browns went back and they treated it as a desperate situation, right? You don't ever want to say must win or backs against the wall or whatever in September. But I thought they went and watched the first three games and took a whole bunch of plays and offensive concepts that weren't working, and they came out with an aggressive, imaginative offense that looked a whole lot more like the one they ran late last year than whatever they had been trying to do in the first three weeks this year. 100%. And, you know, I wrote last week that Freddie was thrashing around on the deep end, and a lot of people agreed, and a lot of people were upset by it. But then to see what happened yesterday, you know, I wrote for today that Freddie took back control of, of the offense. This is Freddie Ball. This is what we saw last year with a lot of the two tight end sets and a lot of the misdirection plays and some of the gadget plays. You know, the Beckham pass was incredible and really should have been a completion. Getting back to creative, un creative unpredictable play calling is how this team is going to be successful in offense. And it was a clear change to me yesterday in Freddie of saying, we've tried it the other way. I'm going back to what I know. And, and you know, for as hard as I was on Freddie last week, it's exactly what I said because if you didn't hire this guy because he's wonderful at managing games, which he may eventually be, or because he knows how to run a corporation or, or run a team, you hired him for his play calling. So that's why I thought it was crazy last week when the questions already started emerging of, are you going to relinquish play calling? That's why he's here. That's why you hired him. If he's not going to be the play caller, there's really no reason for him to be here. And he kind of demonstrated yesterday how this can look when he has it rolling the way he wants. And in terms of Chubb, I didn't realize he had that gear. And, you know, Zach, we were talking in the press box yesterday. I went and looked it up. 
And everyone was going crazy over, you know, Odell Beckham hitting 21.7 miles an hour in the on the slant on the touchdown, long touchdown run against the Jets. Chubb was faster. He got up to 21.9 yesterday. He was even faster than Odell. And I, I'll be the first to admit, I did not realize that he had that type of gear in him. I'm not sure my 08 Corolla goes that fast. Uh, I really don't. <laughs> um, he, he is such an incredible blend, Tom, of power and speed. And the talent was obvious. Um, it's hard for rookies. The Browns last year, they, they brought Carlos Hyde in to kind of show the way. Carlos Hyde is the kind of back that when you need one, he'll get you two. And when you need three, he'll get you two. Um, John Dorsey <laughs> had to trade Carlos Hyde on a Friday afternoon to get Chubb in the game. And he's kind of taken off ever since. And look, at this point, and this is fine, like you're scratching, you're taking week one every aspect of it, and it's out the window, right? So you saw glimpses in weeks two and three where the Browns knew they needed to establish the run game. They had parts of success with it, and yesterday it was exactly what you want. The quarterback yeah. gets numbers. The receivers make plays, specifically Jarvis Landry. We'll get to him. And Nick Chubb is the closer, and he did it with an exclamation point. Yeah, and let's you know what? Let's give a little also give a little bit of love to that offensive line, which has taken its share of hits. Uh, just as the, the quarterback has. I thought the offensive line was terrific yesterday. You know, Baltimore came in uh, leading the league in the combination of kind of sacks and hits. I think Baker was sacked one time on the first drive of the game. Uh, after that, he was able to kind of work out of the pocket uh, much more than we'd seen him in the last couple weeks. And uh, the offensive line... Uh, delivered some nice holes for Nick Chubb to run through, including the 88-yard touchdown run, where I think a really nice job uh, by Eric Cush and J.C. Treader just gave him the daylight he needed to explode through there. So uh, well done by the offensive line yesterday. Uh, Nick Chubb, um, 23 years old, less than 15 career starts, Jason, and two of the three longest runs in franchise history. Pretty good. Yeah, not bad. I'm kind of glad they traded Carlos Hyde. Uh, and and, and yeah. just imagine, you know, I'm, I'm really curious. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but what's the, what's this going to look like when Kareem Hunt gets back? Because Chubb's got it rolling right now. And, you know, obviously I don't think Hunt's going to be in midseason form when he returns from suspension. But the weapons that this team has, uh, you know, again, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but if Nick keeps running it this way, I'm curious to see how they're going to fit Kareem in. Yeah. Now, here in the last day of September, that is getting far ahead, but I'm glad you brought that up for several reasons. One, I mean, let's just be honest. This Browns team is looking at playing at week 18, week 19, week 20. That's why they went and got Kareem Hunt. So um, Nick Chubb has been awesome and, and obviously has driven this offense. Kareem Hunt was not healthy at any point during the offseason. There is no guarantee he's going to stay out of trouble. His actions in the summer showed that. I'm not being a hater. I'm being real. Absolutely uh, true, yes. But potentially, um, this is a guy that could come in and either give Chubb a game off or give him two series off or just come in and blast somebody uh, to keep him fresh. We, we really don't know what November and December will look like. I look outside now, and it's pouring down rain. Um, so it's been – Awesome, and it was about a thousand degrees on the field yesterday. But the Browns are really looking at November and December, and what winning yesterday did, Tom, is it just allowed them to say, "Hey, okay, who, there's no trophy for first place on September 30th, but we know this division is completely winnable." And over the course of the year, 
the good and the bad, the ups and the downs. If you win in Baltimore, that's one that can help you get where you want to go. Oh, with, without question. This is one of the, the two nemesis. I mean, this is this is a franchise, uh, Zach, that only once has been over 500. Uh, only once has been over 500 in the division, and that was last year, and they had to have a tie in there. It's also <laughs> a franchise that has never, I'm going to say this really is like exclamation points, has never beaten Pittsburgh and Baltimore in the same season. That could happen this year. That could. There's a very good chance of happening this year. And if you want to win the division, if you want to make the playoffs, those are the things you have to do to sort of go in there yesterday. And let's be honest, we we're, we kind of danced around the whole Nick Chubb incredible touchdown run, 88 yards. That was a moment in the game, early in the fourth quarter. Uh, the, the the Ravens had just driven down the field and scored a touchdown, and we all were sitting there watching people start flying the Ravens flags and the Maryland flags. And you know that those fans and probably a lot of those players that have been there think, okay, here we go. The Browns are going to fall apart just like they always fall apart here. And we're going to win this game. And the exact opposite happened. Nick Chubb hits the home run and that was the game. And the Browns then piled it on from there. Full, full throwback salute here. Two points. One, when the Browns drafted Nick Chubb, uh, Alonzo Highsmith and Elliot Wolf, second and third in charge behind John Dorsey, came down to the media room. And someone said to Alonzo Highsmith, who was once a, a first-round running back, as most of you probably know, who is your player comp for Nick Chubb? And he said Jamal Lewis. And yesterday in Baltimore, didn't he look a little like Jamal Lewis? Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> the end of the uh, numbers sure looked like Jamal Lewis. Yeah. A bigger picture. We're not going to plug my book for another week or so. Uh, but the story of the first 20 years of the Browns is a sad one. But when they're now five and 16 in Baltimore and you really take a look at it, you're like, damn, how'd they even get to five? So what we think, given the talent level on this team, is that um, this can be one that maybe not the momentous win, maybe not the turning point. But the Browns needed, Jason, some feel good vibes, a turning point, a launching point, whatever cliche you want to go. And there is a possibility that six weeks from now, 10 weeks from now, will look and say, hey, the way they took control of that game in the third quarter gave them the confidence, pushed them forward to now play with the bigger boys going forward. Yeah, and if they you know, meet some of these expectations that have been laid out for them, I think this absolutely will be the point. And again, I'll go back to Freddie. This was the point when Freddie kind of put his foot in the sand and said, no, that we're going to do it my way. And it just it was obvious to me and and like i said earlier the only way that they're going to have success uh w- with this team with this offense is by doing it freddie's way uh you know i don't think it's overstepping to say I, I think it's pretty obvious by now that todd munkin had a lot of influence over this team over the first couple of weeks and that's not to say that he can't have any input going forward but i think this is going to be freddie's game game plan and and freddie's playbook uh, from this point forward. And and real quick, I just want to add one other thing while you're talking about Nick Chubb and the drafting of Chubb. We really need to, while we're talking about plugs, we need to plug Tom's story that's coming out uh, here in a couple hours or might be out by the time the podcast yeah, comes out. out. It's out now? All right, I haven't looked yet. Uh, I, I already got good reviews on it, though, uh, from Ron, who edited it, and just talking to Tom, the concept of it. Tom, just go through it a little bit of, of what the story is. Well, it's, it's just a matter of kind of going back um, – and, and this is something that we've talked about early in the offseason. You know, 
the obviously the Browns went through the the entire Sashi Brown uh, analytics driven era. I am I am a firm believer that the analytics is still alive and well in the building. But of course, Sashi's is an incredibly polarizing figure. Uh, you can get a debate in any Browns a group of Browns fans by just throwing Sashi Brown's name in there and walking away. Well, one of the things that they ended up doing um, several years ago. The Browns were just looking for any possible way to keep getting draft picks. And they went down to watch Miles Garrett's final college game in Houston. And on that trip, while they were in Houston, they ended up uh, hooking up with the Houston Texans general manager, uh, Rick Smith, and started to lay the framework for one of the most creative trades in NFL history. Now, Jason, you, you cover the NBA. This kind of stuff happens all the time. Teams are looking to get out of getting some kind of financial relief and they're willing to give up draft picks while the team that's rebuilding is desperately trying to get draft picks. Well, that stuff doesn't happen a lot in the NFL where you're just leveraging salary cap space. They had $102 million of salary cap space. And when they made this move, which ended up being a second round pick, some people thought hailed it as, wow, that's really ingenious. But a lot of people who had no reservoir of faith in Sashi Brown or that group coming off one in 15 season thinking, you just paid $16 million for a draft pick and you don't know where it's going to be. Don't forget, this is more than a year before the draft order is established. So that pick could have been number 60, you know, hypothetically, if Houston goes on to win the Super Bowl. And don't forget, that was the year they had Deshaun Watson, who started out like gangbusters. Well, Sashi gets fired, of course. And they catch one break. Deshaun Watson gets hurt. Houston loses nine of its last 10 games. And that pick goes from what could have been in the high 50s down to number 35. And it allows John Dorsey and that group to go out and find uh, Nick Chubb. They were really, they really liked Sonny Michelle uh, and some other people, but they ended up taking Chubb. And, you know, the rest is history. Well, and that is a lot of money to pay for a second round pick, by the way. Yeah, that's a uh, lot yeah. of money in the NBA. Sixteen million will get you a first round pick and probably a lottery pick. In the NFL, it got you a second round pick. Well, but the Browns it, it worked out. Yeah, the Browns ended up. You know, like a lot of these teams, they've got their little strategic groups and they have their charts. And and they that was at the high end. They 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 freely admit that was kind of at the high end of of paying sixteen million. But as it, as it turns out, it ended up almost being a you know quote-unquote low first-round pick as it goes 35 because number 33 was the first pick in the second round, which right now is Austin Corbett, which is another story. But um, that's kind of how this is This is how this has come together. And it was interesting to listen to Freddie yesterday talking to him after after the, he met with a group. I was like, well, he didn't know anything about the trade, but he's like, you know what? He's a great player. And he said, he may be our best player. And that's that's a, that's a mouthful there. Wow, that's a podcast in and of itself. <laughs> um, yeah, I, w- I would say this: you don't beat the Ravens with charts. You got to go knock the shit out of them, and that's what Whitehead <laughs> did to Mark Ingram. And that, to me, is the underrated big play of the game uh, because the, team, the you know the offenses felt each other out, and the Browns um, really did a great job of putting together long scoring drives and keeping Lamar off the field in the first half. Well, it seemed like they were coming back and gashing each other early in the second half, and Ingram's inside the thirty. Schobert uh, hits him first. Whitehead whaps him. The Browns recover the fumble. And then most importantly, they go score. And, and that's just what it, we can dive into the numbers. And Jarvis Landry certain, certainly had a big day, two, two really big plays to kind of pad those numbers. 
but you have to extend drives. Jarvis Landry, Landry is the ultimate drive extender. He drives this offense in so many ways. And when you use him as a Swiss Army knife, as they did yesterday, uh, you see the results. So the, the, the bad news, the, the black cloud over yesterday's game is that he got a concussion. And we don't know if that's going to be two days or two weeks. You never know. Uh, the Browns need Jarvis Landry, but the full Jarvis Landry um, underrated to me experience was on display yesterday. Without question, I, you know, it, it, it's he's one of those guys, you know, adversity reveals character. And I thought the fact that this was a guy, I remember, Zach, you were pointing out, well, he may return one punch or two punts or whatever. He volunteered to go back and, and, and basically return punts until they could get guys healthy. This guy was just pretty much willing to do anything to kind of help the team the first couple of weeks when his numbers weren't there. Well, the, you know, a huge game yesterday. He shows up. Uh, he's always, to me, been impressive in just how he's willing to throw his body. He's one of the best blocking receivers in the NFL. I'm not even convinced that he suffered the concussion on the last play that he was involved in, which was the long run right down to the touchdown. Uh, was that a reverse? I'm trying to think. Was that a reverse that he ran? How did he get the ball in that? Shovel, he almost shovel scored. An option to, to Okay. Yeah, he just was gladiatorial yesterday for me. He just he played so hard, uh, ends up again suffering the concussion late in the game. But uh, uh, he really showed his value to this franchise uh, again yesterday. Jason, you got to go, right? Yeah, yeah, I probably should bounce. But real quick before I do, uh, I just wanted to mention, I didn't know Ricky Seals Jones was on the team before yesterday. <laughs> Uh, seriously, so, I, okay. I didn't even realize it. And, Hilarious and the day that story. he had. Um, Jason and I flew back late last night, so there was one flight southwest from uh, Baltimore to Cleveland. So a ton of Browns fans. And, and, and Browns fans were in that stadium yesterday, and they were loud, and they were enjoying it. Anyway, we're sitting there getting ready to board, and I'm just buried in my phone following the Cowboys game. And these guys are talking, and they're talking about Odell Beckham. And one guy says, you know, he didn't do much. I, I wonder how he feels. And the other guy says, you know, well, hopefully he, he just feels like he's finally going to be on a winning team and, and his time will come. The other guy says, you know, they're double teaming him. That's obvious. He goes, even Farrell <laughs> Brown had a catch today. And the other guy just goes, and Seals. And he goes, yeah, and who the hell is Seals? <laughs> I, I, I didn't even know he existed. Didn't even know he was on the team. And, you know, apparently the Ravens didn't either because they kept leaving him wide open in the middle yeah. of the field. Yeah, that that the first one – um, the long one that set up the, the touchdown, I'd have to go back and look, and I will here today. But I can tell you without going back and look, that first one is the design touchdown. Uh, the Browns knowing that the Ravens know their tendencies, the Ravens covering up number 80 and number 13 and kind of throwing it back against the green, figuring he's going to be there. And he was. He made the plays. Uh, when Baker's rolling, he is good enough that he doesn't care where it goes. He's going to throw to the open guy. You know, he's going to go through his reads. He's going to take what they give you, and that's so important that the Browns get consistency. It, on a team with Beckham and Landry and Chubb, you don't need flash from the tight end position. You need consistency. You need a guy who's a big target who the quarterback can find if all hell starts to break loose, and he seals Jones as that. So I'm not putting him in the Hall of Fame or saying he's going to push the Browns to the playoffs, but the evidence is there that he can help this offense. And with that, I go. All right, so Jason's getting out of here. Um, we'll transition to our grades here as we kind of wind this up. Again, this is the Civilized Barking Podcast. We are still new at this, a month into the season, so just over a month at doing this. Um, our early week uh, game recap, for the most part, episode 
is free on Apple, on Google, on all your favorite podcast platforms. Late in the week, when we're generally previewing the game, uh, the upcoming game, that is on the athletic platform for subscribers on the app and on the website. So sometimes it's all three of us. Um, sometimes it's Pat McManaman. Sometimes it's just two of us and a guest. We're figuring it out. We appreciate you listening. We hope you'll continue to share, help it grow, uh, and give us feedback as we can do this. So um, we got a lot of personnel groupings, don't we? Yeah. Before we get into the, into the quick grades uh, position by position, any impressions uh, from the locker room or the fallout of the game yesterday uh, as, as we wind things up here? No, I thought, I thought that, um, I thought that they handled it pretty well. I, I, I thought that they, you know, they were clearly happy with how well they played, but it wasn't like, it wasn't over the top, and and we talked. We were talking yesterday. I thought it was a pretty good conversation on our aborted podcast that ne- that has never seen the light of day. <laughs> and Jason was making this point, and I, I think you were in there too. Was that you wondered how Baker was going to kind of during his news conference respond if he was going to really get his back up and say, "I told you so." You guys are all. But he didn't. He really didn't. He he dismissed the whole Rex Ryan stuff as motivation. He dismissed the uh, little Twitter spat he had with AB, um, and and he really kind of focused and, and he took some ownership, saying that when people were asking him about Freddie's play calling and all this, said, "Look, it doesn't help when your quarterback sucks, and I sucked, and you can call the best plays, and if you're not delivering, then then it's not going to work." So I, I I thought that was a real sign of of him kind of showing that, look, it, it, it can be on me too. I know there were problems, uh, but full marks to him. He, he, when he, he ended up throwing for 342 yards, a touchdown, uh, interception. Uh, really, I thought really played well, and uh, we're going to go through the grades here in a second, but I, that was the thing that stood out to me in the locker room yesterday was the way that Baker Mayfield kind of went about his business. Yeah, no, I, I think we start there. I, I think you give him a high grade. Um, I still think there were a couple left out there. I still think this offense is going to grow, and that's fine. That's expected. Uh, but he did he did play much better. You know, er, early in the game, the Ravens got a three and out to start. And early in the game, I thought the Browns were still having a little bit of communication issues in terms of who's supposed to be in the huddle, whatever. But um, it's not just Chubb's big runs. They hit a couple well-timed screens. He handled the pressure really well. Uh, the happy feet were at a minimum. So Baker gets a high grade. Um, look, it's never as simple as the numbers, right, Tom? But it's 66% completions and 342 yards, you'll take that every day, right? One, one, one interception. Um, those are numbers that are going to win. And when you get help from Chubb and Landry like he did, and the defense, let's not leave them out, you're going to yeah. win more than your share. Yeah. Um, and with, uh, <laughs> yeah. Nick yeah. Chubb at running back obviously gets an A+. Uh, that speaks for itself. The guy's incredible. Um, the fact that he did that and it wasn't his career-long game, tells you about his talent. Um, He's just revving up. You know, and and Dontrell Hilliard is a really good pass catching back and a really nice find as a complimentary role. So Browns still have four games before Kareem Hunt comes back. Uh, Hilliard has missed a game with a concussion, but this is an important player uh, because you're not going to have 30 touches every week for Chubb early in the season. You're going to need Hilliard. And I'm encouraged by what we see there. Uh, Wide receiver, Tom, it's, it's a little more complicated. Obviously, Jarvis Landry is an A++. Um, the Ravens did what they wanted to to Odell Beckham. They even choked him out at one point. <laughs> he was Nick Sorgied. 
Jim Sorge. Jim Sorge. Oh, I'm sorry. Jim Sorge. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Um, yeah. It, it, it's always something with Odell. We know that. Um, but it's clear that he presents opportunities for other guys to get open. And it's clear that when he does catch it, he can shake and go a long way. Now, that didn't happen yesterday. Hey, but, let's give him some credit for that. That was a hell of a throw on that trick play. Yeah. It really was. It yes. really was. Six fifty or sixty yards down the field. Yeah, and it easily could have been interference, even without right. it being caught. So um, it gets interesting, and I know we're doing grades. We'll continue to look at this. The receiving core gets interesting because Antonio Callaway is eligible to come back. Now, Antonio Callaway was not in NFL football playing shape in training camp, so we don't know whether he is or isn't. Then he had the high ankle sprain. We don't know the status of that. And Rashard Higgins, after telling us on the record it was a minor injury, and practicing like he was going to play for two weeks, still has not played in last week, really didn't practice much. So I don't know where that is. But um, this is a receiving quarter that's going through some changes and needs to get better. Um, tight ends, Seals Jones answers the call. Uh, Farrell Brown is a big body. He's a blocker, and he did it. Harris didn't catch a pass, I don't think. Um, but this is a group that um, catch the ones that are open when you're open, Tom. Uh, we, we're not asking you for 10 catches or, or, or many touchdowns, right? Catch the yeah, ones when no. you're open and block your ass off for Nick Chubb. That's the goal for this tight end. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the point there is, is, like you were saying earlier about Beckham and Landry, they're going to create spaces for those tight ends to make those two or three plays in a game, right? And you got to make yeah. them. That's the, your, your, your point about the consistency. And uh, Seals Jones, three catches for 82 yards. Pharaoh had one catch for eighty for eighteen yards. Hey, that's perfect. That's that's just the, all you need right there. And you probably may you may not get that much from Seals Jones again all season, but uh, that was just a perfect mix from your tight ends. There is a little bit of a tight end shortage in the league right now, um, and we saw it last week when the Steelers had to make a trade because for Nick Vanette, who was a great Buckeye and has just been an okay NFL player, um, because the Steelers had to put their kind of um, Dirty work guy on IR and Vance McDonald is also hurt. I really think, Tom, that when the Browns claimed Seals Jones, they held on to Farrell Brown also just because they didn't want the Steelers to get him. I really think that. Mm, interesting. Yeah. We will see how that plays out because then obviously two weeks later you lose Najoku and now Farrell Brown is playing half your snaps, right? So, yeah. um, you know, credit the O-line. Eric Kush, the all-time character on the team. I went to him yesterday and I said, hey, so – you really smacked that guy on the 88 yarder. And he goes, what do you want me to say? Woo. <laughs> and I said, okay, let me ask you a question. You know, take me through that play. What do you see? And he says that there was two guys and he said he knew at least one of them was out of position. So he was just trying to get a body on one of them. Um, so Chubb could read that, that one of the lanes was going to be open. He said he did that. And then basically I said, well, what did you see from there? And he goes, well, first he was gone. He goes, and then it was a bunch of fat guys dancing and celebrating because an 88-yard <laughs> run was a dream. Huh? <laughs> yeah. You know, the funny thing about – one of the funny things about that touchdown was that there was one of the Ravens, and I would not want to be in film session. He just gave up. He was like at the 50-yard line. He's like, well, yeah, normally the guys will like dive or something. The guy just gave up. Like, I can't catch him. It was $50 million man Earl Thomas. Yes. He was oh, was that what was? Yeah. It was, was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And he said he was asked about it after the game, and he said, I'm not pulling a hamstring on that play. So, <laughs> business decisions get made every day. <laughs> um, 
the D-line, um, you know, not a spectacular game by the standard that they had set. But when you play Lamar Jackson, it's a completely different challenge. You know, you you do not want Miles Garrett going on some of these all-out rushes. Right. Because playing contained. Uh, it was hot. They rotated, guys. I thought they did a fine job. Mark Ingram is a good back, and he had a good day. He did not have a spectacular day. Lamar is a magician. Um, it's not the defensive line's fault that the secondary lost him the one time, and, and they just didn't complete it. Um, you know, not an A plus, but man, I think you give those guys an A for for doing what they I give, did in their offense. Yeah, I give them an A for discipline. I mean, one of the things we, you were asking what came out of the locker room. One of the things that Sheldon Richardson was saying, he he gave a lot of credit to Miles Garrett for being disciplined on his rushes because sometimes with we're talking about the quarterback that can get outside the pocket and burn you. You've got to you've got to contain the guy, right? You got to keep him inside. And no question, Lamar had a couple of nice runs. He ended up with uh, what did he end up with? Uh, Sixty-six yards rushing on nine carries, but he didn't go off, right? He didn't right. just have that couple of plays that just killed the Browns. I thought for the most part they did a nice job of kind of keeping him inside and making him earn every yard that he got. So very right. good, very good for them. Not great because they didn't get all the sacks and everything, but a nice job. Um, four games in, as we moved the linebacker, I think Joe Schobert's having his best year. Oh, uh, there question. there are times that Joe Schobert is not as fast as the guys there. That that's obvious, but he is so stinking savvy and smart. And makes plays, and we've seen game-changing plays now in two straight weeks. Um, you know, there's plenty of time to debate his worth going forward, um, because you know he is the modern middle linebacker, right? He's he's 220 right. pounds, <laughs> um, but he's a very valuable guy to this last year team. of his contract, right, Jack? Yeah, this right. is your right. point. Yeah, so he is a very valuable guy to this defense. Um, you know, the Browns did a pretty good job. I, I can't sit here without going back and watching and say how Mac Wilson did. The Browns obviously trust in Mac Wilson's talents and need him to continue to grow. But the, the job that they did, um, you know, I, I, you have to think that the linebackers also get a solid rating. And then the secondary, obviously, oh. gets in it. Uh, the safeties in particular, Jermaine Whitehead, who I mentioned earlier, had his first good game after struggling to start. Demarius Randall being back, you notice him. He just has a presence on the field. And he's so valuable because you can line him up in different places if you need him. Uh, he makes plays when you're able to keep him deep. And, the, again, the backup corners, um, they had one – just like you mentioned, Tom, how the defensive line had to play with a certain discipline. Mm-hmm. The backup corners had one job. Do not let Marquise Brown behind you. Let yeah. the Ravens beat us underneath if they're going to beat us. Marquise Brown dropped a couple balls and Lamar yes. missed a couple guys. Um, those corners – and this is what you get in TJ. This is why you pay TJ Carey what you do because he's not spectacular but he has played he can play any position and when you get in a pinch you tell him this is your role this week and he's going to play it damn well two weeks in a row zach two weeks in a row you think about who they played last week the defending nfc champs and and while we're sitting here talking about the how the offense really kind of woke up and and kind of looked a little bit or like that we expected them to look. This is three straight weeks for this defense and two straight weeks without their starting cornerbacks. Absolutely. Um, special teams, no big plays. Cyber mm-hmm. made his kicks. The hammer's solid at least, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Browns just, yeah. special teams. What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and again, against a team like Baltimore, which is always good in special teams, the hammer came close to getting that one blocked. And if that gets blocked, who knows what happens. But – 
he got the ball off, wasn't didn't kick him out of the building, but he, he got him off, did no shanks. Uh, Seibert, uh, Siebert does his job. Uh, no drama on the returns. Uh, just a, a good, solid effort. We're looking back here on this podcast, but looking ahead, you're playing a San Francisco team that's off a bye. So uh, things like block punts, fake punts are certainly going to be in play and it'll potentially the first real weather challenge for Austin Seibert and the Hammer. Uh, next week is they go to Santa Clara where it might be 75 at kickoff. It might be 52 and 30 mile an hour <laughs> wind. We, we really don't know. So yeah, it could um, be both in the same game. It could be both in the same game. So interesting challenge here for the Browns this week. Uh, physical battle, lots to feel good about. They get an extra day early in the week to kind of rest themselves and tune up. Then they travel across the country. A second straight road game is never easy in this league. Uh, no one thinks the Niners are an elite team, but they're one of three undefeated teams still in the league, and they're coming off a bye. And they'll have a lot to be excited about playing a Monday night home game. So we will see how the Browns handle a little success, how they continue to improve because there's some areas to do it. And then we'll see if the defense uh, has another monster game in it because I think that would be the best way uh, to win this game. So for Tom, for Jason, who's already taken off, I'm Zach Jackson. This is Civilized Barking. Like, share, uh, subscribe, subscribe to The Athletic if you haven't already. And uh, we will talk to you later this week once the Browns get back to work in the reality.